This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is now a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works or others in the book world about their roles, what those roles entail, and the books they love. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Thoughts from a Page. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate Group for sponsoring my podcast. I am out of town next week and taking the week off. So after this week, new episodes will resume on August 10th. I hope you have a great week. Today, I am interviewing Jason Mott about a hell of a book. Jason has published three previous novels. His first novel, The Returned, was a New York Times bestseller and was turned into a TV series that ran for two seasons. He has a BFA in fiction and an MFA in poetry, both from the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. I hope you enjoy our conversation. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome, Jason. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to have you. Well, why don't we start out with talking a little bit about Hell of a Book. I usually ask authors to kind of give a quick summary for those that won't have read it yet. Sure. Um, so Hell of a Book is a story of an author on a book tour. He's just written a really big, successful book, and he's traveling around the U.S. on his book tour. And as he's making this journey, he meets this kid known simply as The Kid, who keeps showing up again and again at his book tour events. Um, and the author also, I have to mention, has this problem where he struggles to tell the difference between reality and imagination. So the author oftentimes struggles to wonder if this kid is actually real or not. So as he's having this very comedic book tour, there's this kid who keeps showing up. And there's also news of a kid who's been shot by police that keeps popping up on news feeds again and again. And the author has to define what is going on with that story. And also there's a secondary narrative about a boy named Soot, a 10-year-old boy who grew up in the South. I won't give too much in terms of spoilers for that, but the story of the author, the kid, and Soot all begin to intertwine to have this discussion about race and identity in America. Certainly a super timely topic. Tell me how you came up with the subject matter and then how you decided to write it. And it's an interesting format. So just how did all of that come about? Yeah, sure. Um, so it was kind of a long winding road to get to here, as you know, sometimes the best stories are. But in 2012, um, I went from you know answering phones at a call center to selling my novel. And the book came out in 2013. I was a bestseller on this massive book tour for almost two months. And at the end of the book tour, I knew I wanted to write a story about an author on book tour because it was such a bizarre, comedic, weird experience that I just wanted to tell that story. And so I wrote a, wrote a, wrote a manuscript basically all of that. And it was, it was missing something. I couldn't really say what it was missing. So you fast forward a few years and there was the string of police shootings that was happening about four or five years ago. I mean, it's been happening for longer than that, but it was, it, it was very much in the news a lot more at the time. And. I've been having these discussions with a friend of mine almost daily about, did you hear about this latest shooting and thoughts on this and just getting overwhelmed by it all, quite frankly. And my friend made the obvious suggestion, which I somehow had missed. He said, you know, you're a writer. Why don't you somehow write about it? And so I started writing about 
race in America and just my thoughts and feelings, some of my personal life stories. Then I went back and combined those with the author on book tour narrative. And that's where Hell of a Book actually came from. Well, and as I said before, timely topic, but timely over and over again, sadly. So, I mean, it's something, as you just mentioned, that sort of happens regularly anyway, but then there seem to be these pockets where it happens a lot. Was it hard to try to incorporate all of that into your book? I mean, was it was it hard to write that painful? It was. It was a very challenging book at times because of the fact that it was so personal. Like there's there's more autobiography in this novel than I think readers are going to expect or even will, will ever really know just because like, you know, there, there's just a lot of my personal narrative in the story. And so having to write that part of it and then also trying to make my way through that frustration and that feeling of being overwhelmed and what the news reports are showing. And have been showing for my entire life this thing about like none of this is new. It's it's so persistent and really facing that and really, you know, not turning away from it for the period of writing, that was definitely the hardest part of all of this. I'm sure it is, because as you said, even though it only seems to crop up in the news when there's a cluster of them, it's something that is just continual and does not seem to have been able to be addressed yet. It yeah. I, you know, I've lived through it, my parents lived through it, their parents lived through it and no matter how far back you go, it is something that we just have not solved as a society yet. Well, how long did it take to write the portions that you're talking about? Obviously, the story came to you a while ago. You set it aside for a little bit. So what was the process like once you decided to incorporate the more personal aspects and the present issues that we're dealing with? Sure. Um, so once I nailed, you know, kind of, I'll say once I truly started writing this version of the novel, it took about a year and a half, maybe two years to get it to get it into a kind of respectable shape, it changed form a lot. Like it's one of the, I tell people like this novel mutated more than any novel I've ever worked on. I just, it, it started just going in very different directions. And I, rather than try to rein it in, I just decided to go with it and see where it went. So it took about two years total, a year and a half, two years. Are you normally a plotter or a pantser? I'm a plotter for sure. <laughs> uh, before I start writing, I, I draw up a outline and I try to stick to the outline, at least for the first draft. So for the first draft, I'll say I'm a big plotter, but then after that draft is laid out and I've got like a framework to build around, then I throw the throw the map out and just kind of see where things take me from that point forward. So I, I kind of blend the two styles together. So the mutating didn't bother you, where people that are true plotters and they have trouble deviating from their original ideas, it can really hang them up a little bit. But it sounds like since you're a hybrid, it was okay once you had that first draft down to, to go whatever direction you wanted. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it actually took me a while to become okay with it, if I'm honest. Like, cause it did, like, I am, I traditionally am a big plotter, but I knew with this one, I wanted it to feel differently and I wanted to creatively do different things. And so I had to kind of give myself, my creative self license to do what it wanted to do. And so when it started mutating and I was seeing the mutations occurring and like writing unexpected chapters and unexpected points of view, there was a point where I just decided, I'm going to just go with it. I'm, I'll fix it later if it needs to be fixed and just see where it takes me. And so I, I just let it change on its own. And that was, it was really refreshing and really fun. I think that's, it made the novel not quite as heavy on the, the writing side. It eased up some of that and made it actually fun to write at times. Well, that's nice because you do want it to be fun at times, at least. Yeah, I think writing writing has to be fun is, you know, on some level. Otherwise, it becomes too much like work. I mean, I mean, it's always a certain level of work. But if you're not happy writing it, chances are your readers won't be happy reading it. And I think that's important to kind of deal with. I think that's exactly right. Well, speaking of your readers, what do you hope they take away from the book? My hope for readers in this is, so I feel like there is a very large discussion that has been going on, obviously, for a long time about race in America. 
And I feel like a lot of people don't know how to enter that discussion or how to approach that discussion. So my hope is that when people finish reading Hello a Book, they one, get a bit more perspective into the black experience in America and what it's like growing up young and growing and being an adult, being a parent in America as a black person. But I also hope that it allows them to engage that conversation and find their way in. The book is designed to start conversations. It's almost I didn't write it for book clubs, but I wanted it to be a thing where like when people finished reading it, they could compare notes and really have a discussion about race and identity and how these things impact not only Black people in America, but America as a whole. Well, and speaking of book clubs, you were chosen as a read with Jenna book club selection. Tell me about that. Yeah, that was a really wonderful surprise. Um, you know, it's I wrote the novel kind of, it was kind of a high risk novel, I'll say, like when I first pitched it, my agent wasn't excited about it. And like, it seemed like the, it just wasn't going to go anywhere. And then when she read it, she enjoyed it. So the Jenna pick has been really exciting again, because they're, it's, she has a really wonderful book club. Like when you look at the books she's chosen before, she's chosen some really powerful, really strong, really elegant books. And so to have my book be chosen amongst those is very humbling and very exciting. And just the response from readers has been really strong as well. Um, Jenna's readers are very, very passionate, avid readers. And a lot of them have found me on Twitter and messaged me and it's just such a great experience overall. So how does that work? Did you hear directly from them? Did your agent hear and let you know? How is that process? Yeah. So the publicist found out about it. We, like, so my publicist you know, sends the book out to people, or the publicist for the publisher, actually. So she sends the book out, and the Jenna team read it and liked it, and they said they wanted to make it their July pick. Um, and this was funny because it was a couple of months ago, and so I've had to kind of sit on this secret for a couple of months now. And not tell any of your friends and not tell anybody and just kind of carry that around. I think it's so funny because what you just said about having to keep that secret is almost the number one thing that every author I talk to that's been picked for one of these clubs says. <laughs> like, I found out months ago, but I couldn't say anything to anybody. <laughs> it's very weird because like you, you're you dying to tell people and you you can't, like you just can't do it. And, so you, right. and then the, the, the irony is you almost forget about it at a certain point because you've had this secret for like so so long now that like, the, the fire and the excitement kind of fades away. So it just kind of, it's just in the back of your brain. And then the announcement comes and everyone suddenly catches up to you with their excitement. And you're like, oh yeah, I forgot I should be excited about this thing again. And you get, you get excited all over again for a second time. You're like, this is old news. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But no, it's very exciting. Well, I had already read it when I saw that it was picked and I was so glad. I, I really think she does a wonderful job with her selections. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. So I love to talk about titles and covers. That's kind of one of my favorite things to discuss. And actually, the whole reason I initially saw your book, picked it up, was the cover. So can you talk a little bit about how the cover came about and then also the title? Yeah. Um, so the cover design is wholeheartedly due to the design team over at the publishing house. They, wh whoever is designing there, like they are just, they're on a whole other level of design. So we, I want to say, a you know, a few months back when they sent me over, they sent me over like nine different iterations of the cover. And the ironic, the ironic part is like, they were all really beautiful. Like they were just so hard to choose from. It took me about two weeks to whittle it down to like three or four choices because they were all so good. And we wound up going with this one and they went back in and like, they actually added like the text from the novel into the, the torn tattered cover that's on the cover. So they just, they completely knocked it out of the park. The title, however, luckily, weirdly enough, goes to my agent. She gets the credit for this. Fun fact, I have yet to title any of my novels. Like every title has been chosen by either my agent or my editor because I'm really bad at titles. So we finished the manuscript before we had a publisher for it. We were trying to decide what to title it. And I submitted a few to my agent and she just really was not excited about any of them because again, I am terrible at picking titles. 
And so throughout the novel, throughout the manuscripts, you hear about this author and he's everyone that comes up to him says, oh, it was such a hell of a book. It was such a hell of a book. It becomes almost a running gag. And my agent said, we should make that the title of the book. And then it becomes this meta component. You can actually go back in and add some things to really beef that up. And I kind of resisted for a moment. I said, that's a really arrogant title to have on a book. And I'm not that kind of a person. So I don't like this. And she said, just trust me. Like, I'll give you good advice. Trust me on this one. We call it hell of a book. And that's where that came from. Well, I think it's the perfect title. So I'm glad that you (laughs) went with that. And that's fascinating to me on the covers, nine different ones. Did you have to just kind of set out the photos of them and try to digest it and kind of go back to it over and over and see what really resonated with you? Yeah, kind of. It was really, I'll say it was such a difficult process. And what I want to do eventually is I've got, I've still got the files of all those different covers. I'm going to make a collage and put it on my wall at some point because they're all so great. But what I wound up doing is when I, once I had, I whittled it down to like five and then I sent them to a few friends. I was like, you cannot tell anybody about this. You can't show this to anybody about, you can't show this to anyone. But like, which cover do you like? So I just took a poll amongst about seven or eight friends and they helped me pick out which one they actually kind of liked and the reasons they liked it. So that's actually the other part about how the title, how the cover got picked. I got some good friends who can keep secrets and they were really good about giving me feedback on what they liked. Well, I always think it's kind of difficult when you have something new like that. So for me, what I usually do if I have choices is I set them out and then I just kind of walk by them periodically. And eventually mm-hmm. one or two of them will stand out to me the most. And it's a good way to try to, you know, widow it down. But it can be hard and nine is a yeah. lot. It's difficult. And particularly with the weight of like a cover, because like this is the, the, you know, this is the first thing people are going to see. Yeah, it's difficult. Picking covers is such a difficult process. And I think that's so cool that the words from your book are actually in the cover. I didn't even pay attention to that till you said it. So now I'm looking and I'm like, oh, that's that's really creative. Yeah, that's yeah. They said so they they blew me away with that because um, in the first iteration of it, it was just kind of you know just jumbled words. And they said, yeah, but at some point we're going to go back in and we're actually going to select stuff to put in there from the novel. And I was like, no way! And they completely did, and it came out beautifully. It really did. It's super eye catching. Well, what about, are you working on anything at the present? I know you're trying to just deal with publicity for this book, but usually people have something that they're working on. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm always working on something along the way. So I've got another novel that is still pretty pretty young and pretty new now. It's a very enjoyable process right now. I don't want to talk too much about it because it is still very young and I don't, I'm not sure what it's about yet. But yeah, I'm always working on a new novel though. Well, and tell me, because I haven't read your earlier books. Was this a big change for you in terms of the way it was done, or is this kind of your standard way of writing in terms of a little bit of the fantastical or trying to decide, is this kid real? Is he not real? Is that something that you always incorporate into your writing? I'll say, I think this novel is kind of the evolution of my writing. You know, The Return is a bit of magical realism, kind of high concept story, but it's very grounded. Like The idea of The Return, for those who haven't read it, is there's a global phenomenon in which people who have passed away have suddenly returned and are beginning to trying to re-enter the lives they left behind. So it centers on this couple, this older couple whose son who has died years ago suddenly comes back and they're trying to decide, is this really their son? Do they still love him the same way? It's a very emotional narrative, but it is very grounded. It is, it is very real world in how the story exists. And so there's a magical component to it. Then when you come to Hell of a Book, Hell of a Book has magical components to it. It has completely absurdist component to it. So it is also a story that is, is not quite as grounded as The Return was, as my previous works are, but thematically it still works in that gray area between reality and fiction. And it's a story about identity and love and loss and all those kinds of things. So you'll probably continue to write in that vein. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think 
part of who I am as a person is my imagination very much runs my life. Um, and so that tends to bleed over into all my writing. So yeah, I think I'll always have some component of magical realism or just something that is different about the worlds I work in, because I think that's kind of how I function. I like that. Well, we talked about you being a plotter and then a hybrid pantser as you go. <laughs> what about your writing? Do you say, okay, every day I'm going to write for four hours or I have to reach a certain number of words or do you just sit and write when you can? No, yes, I am very regimented in my writing. I'm a morning person, so I get up at about 5 or 5.30 in the morning and I go straight to my computer and I start writing then. And the reason, part of the reason why I'm a morning person is because that's the quietest time of the day. Like most of my friends and family and those people in your life who are going to text you and contact you and talk to you, they're still sleeping at that point of the day. So it's the best time to not be disturbed. Um, but part of my process is when I'm writing a first draft, I try to do 10 pages a day. Like that's, that is my, my goal for the day is 10 pages. Now, if I get lucky, I can bang that out in like two hours, two and a half hours, or if it's not a lucky day, it takes me about eight hours to bang it out. But that helps me be consistent. It helps me kind of build out the pages. And then when I start revising, I'll have a certain page count for the day. Like I want to revise 20 pages today and that'll be my count for the day and just work that way through it. Well, that's a good way to do it because it gives you a goal. And once you reach it, like you said, if you reach it in two hours, great, you're done. If you reach it in eight, the rest of your day is a lot shorter, <laughs> but you've gotten everything you needed to get done for your book. Yeah. And I think, and I, I think consistency, because for, for novel writing in particular, it's so easy to, it's so easy to get away from the page and let life kind of sweep you up and suddenly you haven't written in a week. That it's important for me to always have, have that regiment, that regime, that regiment where it's like, I sit here and today I got to do X amount and then I can go play or I can go hang out or whatever it is. What happens to me as a reader, if I put a book down for a week, it's so much harder to get back into it, you know, to mm -hmm. be reminding myself, who are all these people? What has mm -hmm. happened? And, you know, it kind of pulls you really out of the story. And I'm assuming writing is even more that way. Yeah, very much. So it's, it's very easy to drift off from the story. And like I said, life is always trying to get in the way of that writing. I mean, it's funny. I've got an uncle who lives nearby who like to him, he, he's very old school. To him, writing isn't a job. It's just, yeah, it's cool. But like he has no problem interrupting me. So like I'll be working. And he'll just come like, come on, man, come out here, help me do something. You're not working. Come <laughs> and so for me, I have to, I have to have that regiment where I'm back so I don't get drifted off and don't like leave the story behind. Well, what about what you've read and loved lately? What would you recommend? So I, I just finished reading um, Black Buck by Matteo Ascaripor. Absolutely loved it. I definitely highly recommend that one. Um, and then the other book that I'm recommending to people right now is a graphic novel called Monsters by an artist named Barry Windsor Smith. Um, I'm a really big old school comic book fan, and Barry Windsor Smith was a comic book artist for quite many years. And he's just a wonderful storyteller. And Monsters, I think, is kind of his magnum opus. So it is definitely the, the other book I want to recommend to people. I loved Black Buck. Yes, it's such a good novel. Such a good novel. Yeah, and so funny. I mean, so relevant and important, but also really funny. I actually interviewed him and I was like, do some of these things really happen in the sales <laughs> world? Because I can't even imagine. He's like, yep. And I was like, okay, that would not be the world for me. Yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. I met him. Um, we were on a panel together a few weeks back and he's just such a, such a great guy. It was great hanging out with him. Well, great. And it's amazing to me how prominent graphic novels are becoming. I mean, I'm just seeing them all over Instagram these days. And it's, it's nice that, that that's becoming a, another genre that people are really enjoying. Yeah, it's great to see it kind of getting its heyday. Like, it is, you know, comic books have been overlooked for far, far too long by the mainstream literary world. And so it's cool to see both, you know, traditional superhero stories and also just graphic novels themselves get their, get their time in the sun and get the credit they've been, like I said, just been due for quite a while. I agree. 
Well, Jason, thank you so much for joining me in the Thoughts from a Page podcast today. It was wonderful to talk about Hell of a Book. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. This was absolutely terrific. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please consider joining my Patreon as a page turner. Follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to Maggie Garza for sponsoring this episode, and I hope you'll tune in next time. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, I think that was good enough. I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Right.